Good morning, good morning. If you want to make your way back to your uh, seats, that would be fantastic. It is so fun. Let, let, me, let me be a little honest. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure. After this morning, I'm like, well, let's just go home. That was pretty dang it. That was enough for me this morning. So it feels a little awkward for me to get up here and to try to say anything this morning after that. It was just such a sweet time of worship and pushing in and listening to the Lord and to be led by somebody so gentle and yet so humble and yet powerful as Linda is just always a privilege and so um, always a blessing. And so, hey, wanted to let you know just about a couple of quick things coming your way. Uh, a couple of uh, short-term mission opportunities coming up. Today, after the 11 a.m. service at 12.30, we'll have a short informational meeting about our Africa mission trip, and it will be over in the youth lounge area at 12.30 today. And so if you have ever thought about going um, to Africa with us in the summertime, that's a great opportunity for you to step out and to risk, be, maybe be a little bit risky and go here. If the Lord might have that on his radar for you for this summer. And then also... Really excited because uh, to tell you about another brand new initiative of Riverside. And so this last semester, me and a couple others got to go check out Honduras, uh, which is just a short plane ride over in about two hours or so to get to Honduras. And we are going to be doing our first of multiple short-term mission trips to Honduras. That trip informational meeting will be today at 1230 over at the loft. Really excited about that. If Africa is like, holy smokes, that's a big jump for me, um, but you're still interested in stepping out, Honduras is a great opportunity. It's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's going to be really a beautiful trip. Going to be led by, I know he gets awkward, but one of my good friends, uh, Dr. Austin Garrison, he's going to be doing uh, some dental work over there. And so it'll be uh, a medical type of trip. And so would love for you to consider maybe stepping in and leaning into one of those two possibilities. And so go check those out today, at both at after the 11 o'clock service. And then, as Linda reminded you, uh, the last mission opportunity that we have is Christmas Eve. We've said since the beginning of December a couple of weeks ago, we want to start with the end in mind. And we want to be people that are purposeful about on, our, on Christmas Eve, when we light the candles and it goes dark in here and you look down your row, let's create, let's, let's really lean into, this is not just for me and maybe my family, but let's see what the, how the Lord might use your yes to draw other people in to create home on Christmas Eve. And so please make sure that you are leaning in and inviting and investing. We still have all of our resources right out front. And so I wanted to let you know about those couple things. We are in week three of our Advent series called The Gift That Nobody Expected. Advent, if you will, is a season of waiting. It's a season of um, really getting into that ancient rhythm where for hundreds of years the prophets would prophesy that the Messiah is coming and he's on his way. And so we engage in that ancient rhythm of posturing ourselves to wait, that we uh, embrace that uh, idea of pausing and waiting with joyful anticipation for the birth of the Messiah, which is only 10 weeks, uh, 10 days away. And so I didn't grow up in uh, an Advent tradition. I'm not sure uh, how many of you might have grown up in this Advent tradition of this purposefully positioning ourselves in this season of waiting. Um, I certainly didn't, but I think maybe a new, uh, maybe a more modern way for us to talk about it might be something like this. Go ahead. Uh, next slide. There you go. Is the OMW. 
Does anybody know when you get an OMW what that means on your phone? What does that mean? On my way, right? Which on Facebook, uh, which on Facebook, which on your phone, on your iPhone, when you automatically type it in, do you know what pops up if you type in OMW? It automatically fills it and says, I'm on my way, exclamation point. So it's like yelling at you because it's like me yelling at you because I'm running late. Listen, I'm running late, I'm on my way, right? And so uh, I don't certainly mind like Sending an OMW like, hey, I'm running a little bit behind. I'm on my way. I'm coming. I'm just running behind. But I certainly don't want to receive an OMW like I'm on my way. What does that mean? Does that mean that like you're just now thinking about leaving the house? Does that mean that you are just now like getting out of bed? For my workout partner, that means when he texts OMW, Steve Bragg, when, uh, when, when it means... I, OMW, that means he hasn't even left his office yet. And I'm like, bro, it's like at least 30 minutes away. And so I, it drives me nuts because I don't, even, I don't even know what that means. It really doesn't help me all that much, especially because it gives us no real clue. Like, what does that mean you're on your way, right? Um, and so Christmas has the Advent really has this funny way of, um, of, of allowing us to wait, of positioning us in this season of waiting. And on top of that, it's not just for the, uh, uh, we're waiting for the arrival of Christ, but Christmas has this way of just kind of throwing everything that we're waiting for in our face, doesn't it? It like brings up all the stuff in life that we are waiting for. Maybe you're waiting for your kids to come home from college. Woo, right? Maybe you are waiting for your kids to get out of school so you can go on vacation. Maybe you're waiting to get out of debt. Maybe you're waiting for, it's like the end of the year, that insurance, you've rang, you've rang it up this year. So you're waiting for the phone call so that you can get into the doctor's visit. Maybe you're waiting for like that Christmas moment where you know that all of your family is gonna be together. I didn't know y'all had all name tags on today. That's awesome, Teresa. Sorry, total distraction this morning. I'm like, oh wait, she was pointing to their name tag. Sorry about that. But maybe you're waiting to uh, uh, receive, you know, that special moment where all of your family is together at Christmas Eve and there's gonna be that opportunity maybe for that relationship to get fixed. Maybe that opportunity for those things Um, to come back together. But Christmas, Advent has this way of reminding us of all the things that we're waiting for. It just throws it right in our face, face. And waiting is some of the most difficult acts of faith that we get to do. Listen to what this quote says. It's by a guy named Lewis Smead. It says this, waiting is our destiny. Don't like that. As creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for, we wait in darkness for a flame that we cannot light. We wait in fear for a happy ending that we cannot write. And we wait for a not yet that feels like a not ever. Dang, holy smokes. Isn't that the season that we find ourselves in, particularly Advent, where we're just mirroring this ancient rhythm of us waiting and, and longing for the Messiah. And yet at the same time, culturally, all of these things are being like thrown in our face for all the many things that we're waiting for. And I don't know if you know this, but you know, f- from the Older Testament to the Newer Testament is really just, it's just a page turn. It's, it's that easy. But for the people of God, that was 400 years of silence, 
400 years of people saying, where are you at? God, you said you were on your way. This was not how it's supposed to go. Where are you at? Because you, the last thing that God said to his people through one of the prophets was this, I will turn the hearts of their parents to their children and turn the hearts of the children to the parents. Silence for 400 years for 400 years. Can you imagine what it, what it must have been like to hold on to that promise for a month, a year, 10 years, 20 years, 100 years, 200 years, 300 years, 400 years. Now, there's another text you can send when somebody texts you, OMW. You send this text. Does anybody know what W-Y-A means? Where you at? Right? Where are you at? You said you were on your way. Where are you at? For real. God, I mean, imagine, just imagine for 400 years holding on to the promise of God that he is about to do something that the world has never seen before and you're holding out and it's like, God, where are you at? Because I'm looking around, God, and this is not what you promised. This is not how things are supposed to go. Where are you at? And for me, I mean, how many times have you said that this week? Because the reality, I've said that multiple, multiple, multiple times this week. God, this is, this is not how things are supposed to go. I'm, I'm, I, aren't I supposed to hear from you? Aren't I supposed to, I mean, aren't we, like, aren't you supposed to be coming for me? This is not how things or are supposed to, get, supposed to go. And it feels like when we're in this season of a not yet, it feels like, man, it's, a, it's not forever. And it's incredibly difficult. You need to know if that is you this morning, you're in good company. We have a waiting faith. We have a waiting faith on just about every page of this, of this Bible, every page, every story is filled with waiters, with waiters, with people who are waiting. Abraham was 74 years old when he received the promise, man, you're going to have a boy. 74 years old. You know what he had to do after that? He had to wait like another 20 years. Brother was like, come on, Sarah. Where you at, girl? I'm coming for you. He's got to like, like chase her around the house in the walker. He's holding on to that promise. And you have, sorry, you have, you, you have David who is anointed as king at 13 and waits another 17 years before he takes the throne. I mean, Jesus, who this type of, I mean, Everybody, he's born as a child and he waits 30 years before doing anything publicly. We have a waiting faith. I mean, does that describe us? Things that we are longing for, things that we are waiting for. In Christmas, we embrace that season of waiting. I want to introduce to you a couple this morning. Uh, this is my um, Mary and Joseph. And it's not, I mean, it's the best we can do. Um, so we're not talking about Mary and Joseph this morning. This is a story that's probably pretty familiar to us. A miraculous birth, an unexpected mother, angels, God's glory on display. And we, we, we kind of know, I mean, we know this story. But this morning, I'm going to show you, I want us to walk through this story 
this parallel story that just sits right next to Mary and Joseph. And it's the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah. And it's like this just carbon copy, if you will, of this same story about a miraculous birth, an unexpected mother, visits from heaven, a son that is set apart for the work of the Lord. And we're going to look at this parallel story of somebody who had been waiting a really long time. And I believe that God has some things for us to chew on, some, some stuff for us to lean into together this morning. And so if you are visiting or new to Riverside, we say the Shema on Sunday morning. Shema simply means to hear or to listen. It's a declaration that Jesus would have said multiple, multiple, multiple times a day. When he got up in the morning, midday, before he went to bed, it's a declaration that he said. And so we say that as a way to get into that, like Advent, that ancient rhythm, that rhythm where we declare God's goodness. And so we say just the first couple of lines in Hebrew, that's the language that Jesus would have known it in. If you're visiting, you need to know this is just a fun, family, quirky tradition for us that it's actually become really meaningful. And so I'll invite you to stand and say the Shema with us as we prepare our hearts to receive God's words. So let's say the Shema together. Shema Azraim, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Kab, who are Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And with all your might, your neighbor as yourself. Oh God, you are so good. God, we believe that every time we open your word, God, it's a chance for us to encounter you, God. We are listening. Spirit, would you speak to us? Would you carve out the rocks in our ears, God? Would you soften our hearts to receive your words for us this morning? It's in Christ's name, amen. Please grab a seat. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be over in Luke chapter 1. You can uh, turn with me over to Luke chapter 1. That's in the Newer Testament. You can also follow along on the Bible app. I hope that you guys are taking advantage of that. It's been a really great resource for a lot of it. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 5. It says this. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division in Abja. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. And so the story opens up with us of a deeply faithful couple that is... And, and, and Luke wants you to know this is not a couple that's straddling the fence. This is a couple that is faithful. They are two feet in. They are pursuing God. They are really running after him. They want to hear from God. And yet we're told that they do not have a child. And Courtney, if you were here last week, did a great job about explaining that at this time and in this culture, it, they lived in an honor and shame and uh, a honor and shame culture and to be not to have children would have been considered um, shameful. Children were thought to be a blessing for God, like God's hand was on you and he would allow you to have children. And so they would have been considered like something is wrong with this couple. And so what happens is Luke wants you to know, no, 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 no. This couple is deeply faithful 
and they are pursuing the Lord and they faithful to his decrees and they are obedient and yet they're without a child. Now, the text does not say this, so please give me a little liberty. The text does not say this. I'm reading into it, but I think it's there. We meet Elizabeth and, Joseph, or Elizabeth and Zachariah when they're older. But let's go back to maybe when they were first married. And they're in their community and they have their friends. And, you know, maybe their first friend at that time gets pregnant. And Elizabeth, come celebrate with me. I'm pregnant. And Elizabeth rejoices with her friend and goes home and tells Zachariah, Zachariah, I mean, do you think we're ready I think we're ready. Do you think we're ready? And Zachariah says, well, I don't know. I, that's a big step. I, I think I'm ready. Do you think you're ready? Yeah, let's, let's start trying. And so they start. And then one of their friends, another friend, has another child. And then they welcome another child into the community. And then another one. And another one. And all of a sudden, Mary, or, excuse me, Elizabeth and Zachariah start wondering, like, is it us? Is something wrong with us? And then the people that had their first child start having their second child and third child. And that thought of, is this ever gonna happen for us? Begins to kind of creep into their mind. Did, have, we, have, we, have we done something wrong? God, we're faithful. Would you bless us with a child? And days go, months go, years go by until they get to this place where Elizabeth is at that place where she's, she's almost past the childbearing range. And that day comes and it goes. See, I think it's real easy when you've been hoping and you're holding on to a promise for so long to get really offended and to back out. And I wanna show you what I think Zechariah and Elizabeth teach us about, faith, about faithfulness. Let's look at verse eight. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the customs of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all of the assembled worshipers were praying outside. And so where do we find Zechariah? He's showing up. He's faithful. He is, despite his longing in his heart, despite what he hoped would happen, what he thought was gonna happen has not yet happened. He's faithful and he's still showing up. And when we are in seasons of waiting and seasons of longing and we don't see that things are happening, how easy is it for us to back up, to lean back and to take this posture of, Man, it's just been a really, really long time. And I want to show you what I think Zechariah teaches us this morning. Go to the next slide. Waiting is not backing up, but it's showing up. And Zechariah shows up, Elizabeth shows up consistently, faithfully, time after time, year after year, even past the hope or even past that time where it might even be a possibility. They're still faithful and show up. Here's a question for you. Are you showing up? Are you showing up when things are really difficult with your kids? 
Are you showing up and are you being their biggest cheerleader? Are you tucking them in bed at night when they're stinkers? Are you showing up in your marriage when your marriage is hard and you feel frustrated? Are you showing up? Are you showing up believing that your spouse is a gift from God and she or he is not the enemy? Are you showing up? Are you showing up with all of who you are? Are you showing up? Are you in a seat? Did that not sell right with y'all? I mean, is that just me? Christy's not in here. Don't tell her. So, but are you, are, are you showing up? Are you at a place in your job, in your career where you're like, it's just my thing? Or are you really showing up believing that your job is a gift from God and by goodness, I'm gonna show up and be the best employee that this place has ever seen because it's not, I'm not working for the man, I'm working for the Lord. And so everything I do is unto the Lord. Are you showing up? Are you showing up when it's hard to hear? Maybe you're in a season right now um, where it's hard to hear from the Lord. Where you're like, God, I thought you at this, I mean, surely this is not what you had in mind. Are you showing up here? Are you showing up in your life group? Are you showing up in community? Are you showing up to serve? Are you showing up to be generous with all that God has for you? Zacharias, uh, Zachariah teaches us something powerful and it's the, the power of what happens when you and I show up faithfully, even when there's seemingly nothing going on, even when we're in seasons of waiting. Let's keep going. Verse 11. Then, here it is. That's a big then right there. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the uh, altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and it was gripping with fear. Now listen, I don't know if you've been in a lot of charismatic churches, but maybe this is just a side note. I've been in a lot of them and it's, there's so many beautiful things. And I've heard people say things like, man, there's ministering angels in the house tonight. And I believe that's true. But I also have a little bit of question in me because every time I see in scripture when an angel shows up, they're like, oh dear God, no. Like what is happening here, right? And so there's that like, oh my goodness, really? If there's angels here, we should all be in that holy fear place with the Lord. Total side note. Uh, so when Zacharias saw him, he startled and was gripped with fear. Here it is. But what does the angel say? Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been answered. Which prayers? I mean, which prayers? The prayers I prayed like 50 years ago? The ones I prayed last week, today? But we don't know. His prayers have been answered. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you were to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to drink wine or other fermented drinks. Uh, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. I'm like, I don't know how that works, but that's stinking powerful. That's hope for parents, right? I'm just going to pray the Holy Spirit in my child before they're even born. It's powerful. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn. Now, hold on. This is where it gets real interesting. It gets real interesting. Remember that one page turn, that 400 years of silence, that last prophetic word that was spoken to the people of God. Listen to what the angel announces. To turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready 
a people prepared for the Lord. And after 400 years of silence, God is faithful. God keeps his word. God meets Zechariah in his faithfulness. The dude is old and the brother has been praying for a really long time. And God meets him right smack dab in the middle of his faithfulness. And the question for us to consider this morning is, are you showing up? Are you showing up in your seasons of waiting? One of my really good friends, uh, he is, uh, he met Jesus maybe two years ago. And his life looks nothing different than it did two years ago. He's the first in his family to be a follower of Christ. And he's taught me a lot about what it means to show up. Because although he, he has kids and none of them are believers and his wife is not a follower of Christ yet, he shows up every single day. He shows up and he talks to me about how he's meeting with the Lord, how he's praying for his kids, how he's loving his wife, how he, he is trying to show the love of Christ to his family that's not real interested and he shows up day after day, time after time. And the dude shows up to church on Sundays, every single Sunday, and there's chairs sitting next to him. Just for that day of hopeful anticipation when the rest of his family is gonna join him. Are you showing up? Because that's what it looks like when you show up, is that you are faithful, day after day like Zechariah. You show up when you feel like there's nothing even going on, Lord, where the unimaginable is about to unfold. And I think God's heart for us this morning is for us to really ask that question. Have you backed out? Have you taken something off? Have you stripped it down just a little bit? Are you showing up? Showing up, I think, doesn't mean that you don't wrestle obviously. It doesn't mean that you don't have questions. It doesn't mean that you're uh, not frustrated, that you are um, questioning, that you're wrestling, that you're even angry and disappointed. Don't take out the humanness of the, of the stories in the Bible. Like so often we read the Bible looking back, and I think God's invitation is always to read the Bible going forward. And you have to watch how from their perspective, how the story is unfolding for them. Don't romanticize this. Don't romanticize like Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Zechariah has some, has some questions for the Lord. Look at verse 18. It says this. Zechariah asked, uh, asked the angel, well, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. First of all, you need to know this. Brother's happily married. <laughs> And how do you know? Because he doesn't call his wife old. <laughs> he, call, he says, listen, she's well along and he knows what it's like to have a good marriage. And so he says like, I mean, how is this even possible? Like I see myself, I see my bride and we've been together a really long time. I don't even know how this is possible. And I wanna show you, he, he's, he's honest to God with his struggles and his doubts and his, his, uh, his limited perspective on the circumstances. And here's what I wanna ask you this morning. Next slide. Does your honesty cause you to lean in or does your honesty actually cause you to lean out, to back off? Because they're two totally different things. Now, remember, 
these stories are running parallel to each other. You have Joseph and uh, Mary, and then right next to them, you have Elizabeth and Zachariah. And I want to show you how both of them respond when they get a message from the Lord or a message from God, an angel comes to them. And I want to show you how both of their honesty produces different postures for them. Next slide. This is what, this is what Zachariah says in Zachariah, or in Luke 1.18. It says, Zachariah asks, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Now, this is Mary's response. First, if you skip down to verse 34, you see Mary's response. Go back a slide. And verse 34 says this. Not how will this happen? How can I be sure of this? But how are you going to do this? Not if, how will this be? Just tell me how the plan's going to unfold, right? Do you see the distinction between the two of those? Because there, there's, there's a... It may be slight, but it's such a significant place, a significant starting place that they lead you to really different places. There's two types of honesty. There's honesty that causes you like, God, I don't see you. I don't even see the possibility. I'm not even sure there's a way. God, I'm not experiencing it right now, but I trust you and I trust in your faithfulness. And then there's a whole other type of honesty that's like, God, I don't see it. I don't trust you. I'm not, I'm not experiencing it. I'm not walking in it. And what is that type of honesty? Although, like I've said that a thousand times before. Like, I don't see it. I'm not experiencing it. God, I know you have more in store for me and for this place. God, I'm not experiencing it. And you know what I'm actually doing? Although I think I'm being helpful and truthful because I'm being honest. But what I'm actually doing is getting offended and backing up that God has not done something I'm demanding. He's not done something that I am demanding. And my honesty is like an excuse for me to be justified in my posture. Where I am, okay, so I'm going to lean back, God, because you're not doing the thing that you, I thought you were going to do in the time that you thought you were going to do it. And then there's this whole other type of honesty, like what you see with Mary is, Lord, I don't see it. I don't even know. But you tell me how it's going to happen. Not if it's going to happen, but just tell me how it's going to happen. That's a whole different type of honesty. Verse 19. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Let that sink in just for a second. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you the good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And so, Zechariah, time for a little time out for you, buddy. You're running a little bit hot, and so you're going to be silenced for the duration of the pregnancy. Now listen, is this a punishment for Zechariah or a blessing for his wife? <laughs> Because, because, because I know me and I know when men help me out. When your wife was pregnant, did you say anything right? Like, 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 baby, I think my sweatpants will fit you. Like, that's not helpful. You don't, you, you don't want to say those things. You don't want to say those things. And so I'm not sure if it's a blessing for, uh, for, for Elizabeth or a curse for Zachariah. But, but God has to literally shut up Zachariah. And, but it seems pretty severe, doesn't it? Like he's like, he's like, I don't know how old he is, but he's old. And he's like, God, I, 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 how can I be sure of this? And it feels like God is kind of dealing with him kind of harshly. And so what I want you to see is that, yes, Zechariah was faithful to his duties. He showed up, he leaned in, but he was not delighting in the joys and the promises of God. 
God doesn't just want your obedience. He wants the inside. He wants the interior. He wants the heart. He wants the softness. He wants you to trust and, and find joy in his promises and that God is going to be faithful. And so for the remainder of Zachariah's, or Elizabeth's pregnancy, Zachariah is silent. He's unable to speak. Not, catch this, please, please, please. Not as a punishment. It's not a punishment. Come on, Romans 8. People, if you've been tracking with me through Romans 8 this last semester, Romans 8 one says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There is no punishment because there's been someone who's been punished on your behalf. Hebrews tells us that every good parent disciplines their children and that when God course corrects his children, he's actually treating you as a good father. He's treating us as his kid. Please catch this. Next slide. Discipline is not God trying to pay you back. It's God trying to bring you back. God is not punishing you. He's trying to bring you back. Zechariah had been obedient, been faithful, been showing up, and God is after something so much more than just his obedience. He's after his heart, his desires, and his longings. Remember, God's intention is not your destruction. It's your healing. It's your wholeness. It's, it's bringing together all of those pieces. And so God disciplines Zechariah to draw him back in. And I want to show you what it says. Jump down with me over to verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy, and they all shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to, came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. Like, like, where does this name John come from? That's not a family name. Let's name him after Zechariah. My sister uh, is named after my mom, and my mom's name is Moy. It's like boy with an M. And my sister was Moy the fifth. She's the oldest in my family. And you would have thought, I mean, the scandal upon all scandals when my sister didn't name her firstborn child Moy. Five generations, are you kidding me? And you're breaking that right now? I mean, that's kind of the picture that's going. Like, why would you call him John? Let's name him after his father. And they said to her, that's no, there is no um, uh, among you relatives that has that name. And then they made signs to his father to find out what, it, what he would like to be named. He asked for a writing tablet because he can't speak. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free. And what's the first thing he does? And he began to speak, praising God. Do you see the discipline here? The Lord's discipline leads to fruit and to freedom. And all the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone was talking and heard, wondering and asking about it. What then is this child going to be? For surely the Lord's hand is with him. And so Zechariah raises John the Baptist. Do you know what John the Baptist's whole life was about? Here he comes. Here he comes. Make ready, make a straight path, make way for the Lord. Let's 
let's embrace repentance and surrender to prepare ourselves for the coming Messiah. Do you know what? Do you know what Jesus said about John the Baptist? Jesus said, out of all those who have ever lived, there is none greater than John the Baptist. How about that? Zechariah, catch this part. Zechariah never, never could have known the power of his waiting. Because he was faithful and chose to wait, he raised a boy that said, make ready. Here he comes. Prepare the way of the Lord. And he never could have known that. He never could have seen it. He never could have dreamed about it in the seasons of waiting. Listen to this. Names are important in the Bible. Really important. Do you know what Zachariah's name means? God remembers. How cool is that? God remembers. Now listen, we're in a heavy season of Advent. We are waiting. And as Christmas has this way of kind of bringing up and shoving in our face all of the things that we're waiting for, I want to remind you just of something this morning that God remembers that even in seasons of waiting, Waiting time is not wasted time. It's a time of preparation. And although, friends, you may not see it, you may not be experiencing it, you may not feel it, God remembers and His promises are secure and you can bet your life on them. I want to show you how the story of Zechariah ends because it's, it's, really, it's really powerful. He goes from this, this posture of, how can this be? I'm old. I mean, I'm old. How can this be? And look at where he ends up. Look at how the story of Zacharias kind of comes. Listen to what the first thing he says after this time of silence. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. Praise be the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed them. He has raised up the horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through the holy prophets of a long, long time ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all those who have hated us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hands of our enemies and to, and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, my child, will be called prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercies of God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into a path of peace. Do you see the radical transform transformation that happens because of the faithfulness of Zechariah? 
He shows up. He leans in. He doesn't get the whole thing right. God does this little time out. And the first thing that is uttered out of his mouth is this beautiful song, this beautiful prophetic message for all of the world to hear. God remembers. God remembers. God remembers. In your season of waiting, God remembers. Let's pray. God, we love you. We bless you. God, for myself and for my friends here this morning, Father, we are all hoping and waiting for, for stuff. God, would you steady us in our waiting? Would you remind us that you are faithful? That the where you at, God, is about to be fulfilled. That the hope of the world is on his way. And so we lean in we show up and we remember that God is faithful. I love Zechariah's first response after his timeout. He worships God with song. So friends, I'm going to invite you as we close to stand and worship as we close out this morning.
finance, job, control, healing, breakthrough. God, we give you it all because you are worthy of it all. God, you are worth it. You are worth it. You are worth it, Father. God, may we be reminded of your faithfulness because of such stories as Elizabeth and Zechariah this morning that God remembers that he's faithful, that he keeps his promises, that we can stand on his truths. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit.